Last week we started this sermon, and I, you know, I've done that before, and we just added another sermon. But this one I think was important to add just a, a B to it. Uh, so the second part of last week's sermon. And the first two points that we saw uh, was, number one, be determined to be known for who you are in Christ and not for what you do in the world. And it's real easy to do that. We talked about that. Just a reminder, uh, we get up every morning. We get ready for the jobs that we have. We get ready to, to go and do what we do for 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 24 hours. You know, and so, sometimes we, we do these things in the world, and that's how we provide for our family. That's how we pay the bills and buy the groceries and, and all those things. And it's real easy to day after day after day be doing that. And when we introduce ourselves and we talk about what we do, all those things, that's the prominent thing in our life. Well, I work for here, or I own this, or I'm a manager here, or I'm a salesperson here, or whatever the case may be. And again, there's nothing wrong with having those conversations and telling people what we do in the world, but in our life, we should be known for who we are in Christ. And somebody consider, you know, when I think about, for an example, Brother Mike, uh, I, don't, I don't, the first thing that stands, maybe it does for you, but knowing him, uh, the first thing that stands out to me wasn't who he was in the world or what he did in the world. What stands out to me was who he was in Christ. And so, again, I think that's what we need to, to follow after, again, the example that we see in, in Scripture. The second thing we learned was from Peter, and that was to be diligent to stay moldable and a willing disciple of Christ. Peter was this great leader in the church. We see him as this great leader, one of the, the, the apostles, first you know, possible leader of the, the, the church there. Uh, Jesus talks to him privately at times. There's all these things that we see. He gets this vision from God. And in this vision, he is still moldable and still willing to do what God wants him to do, regardless of what his preconceived beliefs or notions were. And again, he was not wrong in what he was believing. He was going off of what the Jews had always believed and practiced based on the law. And again, they had that, that learning curve they had to go through when Jesus was with him as he was explaining, hey, it's about me. But all that stuff, all the ceremony, all of the feasts, everything was about me. It was about a relationship with me, God. And so uh, Peter had to remember that, be reminded of that. And he goes down and he meets with Cornelius. And so this morning I want to pray and pick up in our text and see what we can, uh, again, grab that third point and, and, and another one in, in this study. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Again, we thank you for all you are. All that you do, we thank you for salvation. Thank you for the blessings that you pour out in our life that we can come to you now. Uh, even as the song uh, was just sung, uh, Lord, we, we can get on our knees and call out to you. Uh, when things look dark, when things are uh, discouraging, when, when our world around us seems like it's completely changed and flipped on its head, God, we know that the, the stillness, the calm in the storm, our rock, our refuge, our hiding place is you. And we can turn to you and call on you and rest in you and find peace in you and uh, trust you, walk in you. And I pray that you would help us do all those things this morning. Lord, there's a lot of things just still in our world uh, that the enemy is trying to use to even strike fear in the hearts of your children. Uh, Lord, we realize that your, your people have faced attacks from all different angles in all different ways throughout history. Uh, enemy attacks, uh, plagues, pestilence, um, captivity, all kinds of things, Lord. 
And your desire through it all is that we would press into you, that we would draw close to you so that you would draw close to us. And I pray that would happen this morning. I pray that your word would go out and that we would draw near to you. I pray if there's somebody here that's lost, that they would get saved before they leave this place and before it's eternally too late. Lord, we ask you to move now in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 30 is where we pick up in our text. And follow along. It says, So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And remember, Peter shows up at his house because these guys came to get him, said that Cornelius had a vision, sent us to come get you. Peter says, I just had a vision. God told me that y'all were coming, so I'm going with y'all. Again, they, they go out the next day. They go back to Cornelius' house. Peter says, hey, I'm here. And Cornelius tells him, look, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And in the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard your, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sit to you immediately. And you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things God, uh, things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. In other words, God's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't look on the outward appearance of man. He doesn't look on, on, on what we do in the world. He doesn't look on how we dress. He doesn't look on the skin color. He doesn't look on the social status. He doesn't look on those things. God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The Bible says in Psalm 33, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. This morning, Brother Robert, before our, our uh, worship team practice, shared out of Chronicles where the temple was being dedicated and, and the, the declaration, the proclamation was that it wasn't just for the Jews, it was for anyone from any nation who would come to the temple of God that they would be welcome to worship there the way that God had invited mankind to worship Him there in His temple. Now we realize that the temple of God is among men, that the church we realize that, that whosoever will can have access to the throne of God. Whosoever would come by faith would have, could have a relationship with Almighty God. It says that whatever nation fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel in verse 36, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee, even the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses, remember this is Peter speaking, of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him, same Jesus, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was, who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the gospel, he was given the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. 
Verse 45, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Who were those of the circumcision that were astonished? These were Jews, ceremonial Jews. They had gone through the rite of circumcision that was given to Abraham beforehand. They had believed God. These, these were converted Jews. And they're standing here watching Peter preach the gospel to this house full of Gentiles who, again, Peter had to come to this understanding that Gentiles could be saved just the way that Jews now could be saved through the grace, through the merit, through the work of Jesus Christ. So they're standing there and watching as the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles and they were astonished, they were shocked, they were amazed. As many as came with Peter because why? The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Wow. You know we say, well, that, that's not a big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. Remember, the Jews up to this point were the only ones who knew about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Paul and, and, and had, had been preaching. This had, had been going out a little bit. But Peter now, his eyes had been opened that the Gentiles could receive salvation the same exact way that the Jews had received salvation. Sometimes we're a little slow to learn, aren't we? Sometimes it takes a little bit. Peter was experiencing grace from God. All the ceremonial law, Jesus walked with him from three and a half years. Jesus taught him all these things. Going through the town of Samaria, explaining that salvation was freely in him. And Peter had to have a vision. He told the Lord, no, 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 Lord, I'm not going to eat that. He had to have it three times. And finally, he comes to this understanding that this is the same way that God saves. So the Gentiles who heard it, they, they, the, the Holy Spirit's poured out in them just exactly like it was on the day of Pentecost. And just like it was on the day of Pentecost, they began to speak in other languages and glorify God. So Peter answered, can any, anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized, baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. Again, I want to make sure this is understood. Uh, the, the speaking of tongues here is the same as what we saw on speaking of tongues on the day of Pentecost, which we talked about that when we went through in Acts chapter 2. Let's make sure everybody understands this is not some erratic, some unintelligible babble that you and God alone know about. That is a, a fault, that's a heresy that was derived from the, or the, the, the charismatic movement in modern history. That's not what was going on here. That's not what was going on there. Again, we can go back to Acts chapter 2 and see that when this happened, as they were proclaiming the great things that God had done, the, the wonderful works of God, that all the Jews that were gathered on the day of Pentecost there to worship God, who were hearing these men speak, they started to wonder, are they drunk? Why did they say that they thought they might be drunk? It says, because we're understanding them in our own language. We can understand what they're saying, but we're from every nation under heaven. We are speaking different dialects. We're speaking different languages even uh, in this place. And yet these guys are Galileans who speak that, that dialect of either Greek or Aramaic. And so we know Something's going on. They're either drunk or what's happening. And so they had to explain to them, hey, this is the work of God. 
In the same way, these guys here, among these Gentiles, probably speaking Greek, which was the common language of the day, began to speak with different languages, maybe Hebrew or Aramaic, just something that was out of the ordinary. Oh, wow. That's a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit right before us. But the key factor in all this was this. We saw that the Jews who had believed, those who were converted, they looked on amazed because they see the same exact thing that happened to them was happening to these Gentiles. That's what God was showing them to make his mark, to make his stamp, his, 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 his authoritative stamp, that this was God's way, and that was through Jesus Christ, the gospel. Some people say, why does that happen, ha- not happen today? Because it happened back then. <laughs> you don't have to keep establishing and in in, in, in stamping authoritative uh, truths. Once it's, it's done, it's done. Even in Jesus' day, they said, hey, show us a sign. And what did Jesus tell them? An evil generation seeks a sign. You don't need any other sign other than the prophet Jonah. It's already happened. God's already proven it. You, 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 you want to see it because you, you're, you're operating in the flesh, but the just shall live by faith. You have to understand this is the same way that Jews, uh, Jews are saved. The Gentiles now are being saved. So this was a mark for the Jews primarily to understand that this was the work of God. See, that's why we don't see somebody get saved today and they start speaking Latin. <laughs> you know, they, they start speaking Portuguese or something, something else. Oh, wow, Kyle, you're as, you're as white and English speaking as it comes. <laughs> why are you speaking some type of tribal language? You know, it doesn't happen like that. The transformation happens in the life today. But God doesn't have to keep showing signs. What does this encounter and this story teach us? Among many things, I believe number three in our notes is this. We need to be deliberately mindful every day. The thought that God isn't willing that any would perish, but that all would be saved. Again, we, we saw even from the very beginning here in our text that God doesn't want even some Roman soldier to be lost. That he would, he would even give Peter a vision Mold, mold Peter in, in, in his thinking and maybe his old religious ways and to get him to understand that God doesn't want anybody to perish, but that he wants all to be saved. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, The Lord's not slow, uh, slow to fulfill his promise. His son counts slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing, not wanting, not desiring that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. All men, all mankind would come to a place of repentance. Sometimes I, I know I don't, but I believe that most Christians, and I want you to be honest with yourself this morning, we don't live like we remember this point. And especially I don't believe we're deliberate to remember it every day. Right? Because what I said a while ago happens in our lives. We get up every day, we get ready for work, we go to work, we've got all the thoughts, all the, all the responsibilities, all the things that we have to do at our job or whether we, whatever, we stay at home or whatever. We've got all these tasks that go on in our day. And so our mind, our, our, our desires, all those things to try, to try to be soaked up like a sponge in the world. That's just the way that we're living in these temporal vessels. We live in in, in earthen vessels that are going to perish. We live in a temporal world. And so it's hard not for for all of our thoughts and all of our desires to get soaked up in the world. And that's why I think it's an important reminder for us sitting in this place today to to, to remember 
to be deliberate to remember that people need Jesus still. I'll be honest with you, I look around the world today, and as blatant as that truth is, people need Jesus, it seems like, as we're living in this end time, that the, the love of many has already waxed cold. It feels like people's hearts are hardened. Even in the church, it seems like there's a callousness and an apathy that's taken over, that people don't really care about God and the things of God like they should or like they used to. Do you remember the time when you were saved? Do you remember when you just couldn't wait to get in the Word of God? Do you remember that time when you, you, there was nothing that would keep you away from the house of the Lord? There was nothing that would keep you away from, from being around other Christians because that's who you wanted to be around. What's happened? I just need a break. What? This is going to, that just, I'm sorry. That just came out. We sometimes watch the Cosby show. Not sometimes, all the time. And there's an episode where uh, the, the wife, Claire, is, uh, is do, doing this um, diet thing. She's trying to lose weight. And her loving husband finds out about it secretly. And so he's going to try to sabotage her just, just to get her to admit because she's trying to keep it from him. She can't fit in a dress. And so she comes home from this all-day workout. And she's, she's wore out. She's hungry. But he had been cooking her favorite Mexican food all afternoon long. And so he comes in the living room. She's laying on the couch. And he comes out there shaking the chips. And he's like, what say you? What, what say you? You know? And she says, I'm not hungry. And he goes, what? You know? He says, what? That's what, that's what we, we, we face in our, in our world today. Not the Mexican food thing, but... <laughs> This lack of desire for the things of God. Again, even among the people of God. Where's your desire? Man, people still need Jesus. We, we as the church are the hope. The gospel is the power. We're the light. That's why I said we're the hope, we're the light, we're the salt. And, and, and man, this should be our refuge. Come together to, like we're doing now. Man, we just sang the song, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Why? Because no matter what's going on, we know who's God. We know who's in control. We know where we're going to spend eternity. We gather together to be reminded of these things and to be encouraged in each other's fellowship and in worship to God. And this should be our great joy. But man, we're so busy, soaked up in the world. Maybe it's because of the people. Maybe we get frustrated. We try to push away from the table. Man, we should, be, we should be so desiring to be here and to be connected and to love each other and to love on God. Why? Because we remember when we leave this place, there's lost people going to hell. And every day we need to remind ourselves, be deliberate, remember. That's why we're still here. God may want me to hand a tract to somebody. God may want me to invite somebody to church. God may want me to, to talk with somebody about the gospel. So, you know, this is, this is what it's about. We need to be delivered every single day. Again, sometimes we don't live like that. Sometimes we don't approach our days like God still saves the outcast. Sometimes we don't approach our days like God still can save in unexpected ways. The ones we might think are too far. And I'll be honest with you, there's people like that that I know. 
And I know, I know, I know, I believe that God can still save them. But, you know, you, you, you witness to them and you invite them and, and, and you try to be exact. You do all those things and, and it seems like nothing. Again, to us, it seems like nothing, nothing. Mm-mm. God still is in the saving business. He still saves the unexpected. He still saves those who we think are too far. And maybe we forget because we are too busy. Maybe we forget because we're too religious. Right? It took a vision for Peter three times. It took Peter three times to get it. Ah, God can still save even who you don't think he can save. And maybe we're too selfish. I think if, if, if we, as a people, would just confess that to God and be honest and repent from it, I think a lot would change. I think sometimes we're just selfish about our time. I think sometimes we're just selfish about our stuff. We're selfish. And that's the nature of mankind, right? We, we preached that before. Go, let, let's go into the, the nursery of the toddlers. Let's go in among the little kids. Who we have to teach to what? Share. Mine. <laughs> we get, as adults, we have to be reminded. We get selfish with our time, selfish with our stuff, selfish with, with, with our desires. Well, I don't want. We need to be, be deliberate to remember. And God still wants to save the lost. But just as he opened Peter's eyes, used him as a vessel to share this good news of salvation, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. God, I believe, still today in this end time, wants to open our eyes. He wants our, not only our eyes open, I believe he wants our hearts soft and our minds mindful. That not only does he want to still save them, but he still can save them. It doesn't happen by chance. It's a clear process. Romans chapter 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Here it is. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that means confess Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that that belief is absolute trust, confidence, just as you're sitting in that chair, you're not hovering over that chair, you have absolute confidence in that chair to hold you up. Believe in your heart, trust wholly, surrender wholly, your confidence, your life, everything to Jesus that God's raising from the dead, you will be saved. That's the promise of God. For the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. Why is that true? Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You will have no problem confessing Jesus as Lord. I'm surrendered to you. You're my Lord. I'll follow you if you really believe that. And that's really where your heart is. The scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. And the promise is, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how, they, how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not even heard about? And how shall they hear without a preacher, without somebody to speak it, to proclaim it? And how shall they preach unless they're sent as written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach or proclaim the gospel of peace, 
who bring glad tidings of good things. Listen, please listen. It's not too late for that someone today. It's not too late. As much as I may think, man, that's, that's a long shot. It's not too late. You may be here. Someone may be listening online. Maybe you're that someone here today. It's not too late. For those of us who are saved, it may be that person you know, that person you're thinking about right now, that family member, that friend, or maybe it's someone that we're going to encounter. Someone needs Jesus to save them. This morning, be deliberate, be intentional to remember every single day when you get up, maybe you need to write it down, put it on a note on your nightstand, do something, put it on an alert on your phone, make it pop up every single morning. Someone needs Jesus. Having an alert, maybe make it on your alarm. It goes off, you wake up, you get, start to get out of bed, you look at your phone, have it say, someone needs Jesus today. Be deliberately mindful. And faithful to share the good news with them when you get the chance. Don't be too busy. Don't be too uncaring. In chapter 11, we move on. It says this. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the, Gentiles who had all, that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. Again, this is those, the, the, the Jewish body uh, of believers saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. How dare you? You don't do that. That's forbidden in the law. Again, Peter said that, remember, in the vision? He said, no, Lord, no, 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 no. I can't do that. Peter explained to them in the order from the beginning. Now, verses 5 through 14, we're not going to read that because it's the, the recap of what happened. We've already read it a couple times now because it happened, and then he told them what happened. But verse 15, it says, And, I began to, and as I began to speak, the Holy, the Holy Spirit fell on them as upon us at the beginning. Just like it happened on the day of Pentecost, it happened on them. Peter is telling them this testimony. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall baptize with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Amen. Now, I want to point out a few statements that could preach themselves. I could, I could preach an entire message on these three statements. Number one, who was I that I could withstand God? Well, that will preach. That, 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 that could be an entire message. Who am I that I could resist God, that I could withstand what God's plan is? Right? Now let's take, it, take, it, take, it, take a step and, and think about this. Who was I that I could withstand God? Sometimes we love our lives not in wisdom, but in pride like we could stop something that's in God's will. We talked about it last week in our new members class. Someone said, you know, it took a, a friend of mine telling me what prayer was it's not me trying to bend god's will it's me knowing god's will through god's word in a relationship with him and praying according to his will 
It's okay for us to present our desires. Again, God in the flesh, Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life as a perfect example and showed us exactly what that looked like when he was in the garden facing his greatest moment of trial, his greatest moment of desperation. What did he do? Father, if it's possible, if you would allow this, if, it, if this is in your eternal plan, let this cup pass from me. But then he says this, that's, my, that's, that's, that's the desire. This is the example I'm showing. Remember, his disciples were just, the three were just a little bit away from him. Somebody knew enough to record it. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Who was I that I could withstand God? God did this. This is God's will. Who was I? The second statement, when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God. And sometimes the Word of God just makes you want to glorify God. Sometimes the work of God, that's what it calls, again, I could preach this. It, it, does anything in God's Word on a daily basis, when you're reading it, when you're studying it, do you ever just, you ever just read it and say, oh, man, thank you, Lord, that is awesome. That is, that is so cool. Do you ever just get to the point where the Word of God and the work of God cause you just to glorify Him? Not just something emotional, something spiritual. The third thing, God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. And so a long, another long point, but it's, it's, it's all of those basically wrapped into one. Number four, be delighted that the plan of God is unstoppable. The Word of God is powerfully captivating. And the salvation of God is freely given to all who repent and believe. Man, that is, we should delight in that. Man, I'm so thankful. Uh, we, we sing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Why? Because that's the winning family. That's the winning side. I, no, matter, no matter what happens on this earth, no matter what you hear on the news, no matter what you read on Facebook, no matter what somebody tells you, no matter what the doctors say, no matter what your friends say, no matter what, if you are saved, you're a part of the unstoppable plan of God unstoppable no matter what his plan is unstoppable and his word if we will allow it let the word of god dwell in you richly the bible says in colossians let the word of christ dwell in you richly if you allow that to happen it's powerfully captivating do you take the time to dwell in the word of god you would take the time to let the word of god dwell in you richly because if you do man it's powerfully captivating they were a captive audience when Peter began to tell them these things, and they stood there silent and just glorified God. And salvation of God is freely given to all who repent and believe. And I, I want to make sure that last part is very clear, and that's what I'm going to finish with. We know that salvation is God's gift to us. We know if you're here today and you know without any shadow of a doubt, no fraction of a doubt, there's not even a 0.1%, well, I'm 99.9% .9 sure that I'm saved. No, 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 no. I'm talking to all who are in here that are 100%, 100% sure that you are saved. We know that it was God's free gift to us. We know that we can't earn it. We know that we didn't deserve it. It's already, it's already paid for by the blood of Christ. It was given. But 
like any gift that someone gives to someone else, it has to be received. And the gift is out there. It says not willing that any would perish. It was read in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God doesn't want anybody to perish. Again, he sent his son to pay the price, shed his blood, so that all would be saved. God doesn't want anybody to perish. But in order to be saved, that gift has to be received. We just read it in Romans chapter 10. I want to make sure we understand this is not like any other gift that could ever be received by anyone at any time, anywhere. It's not something that you just pick up along life's way and say, thanks, God, back to my life. You don't show up one time and say, oh, you know what, I want that. I want eternal life. I want salvation. I'm going to, what do I do, pray a prayer? Great, I'll pray a prayer and then go back to my life. That's not how it happens. It's not something sentimental either. That's so nice of God to give to me. Man. That's a nice guy there. God gave me, ah, that's nice, not just a sentimental nice gesture. Salvation is a gift, yes, but there is this glorious exchange in the receiving. The exchange happens because faith is activated. Saving faith, and that only happens, it only happens because you realize your condition and you realize your direction in light of who he is and what he has done for you. That's where the exchange happens. You realize you're a sinner and as such that you're headed down this broad path that leads to eternal destruction. Matthew chapter 7, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the, broad, the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it. The gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Again, this is Jesus talking. He said, there are many people on that broad path living as slaves, servants to sin and to fear, every day getting up, being afraid, living selfishly for themselves, living superfluously for the world. When the gospel that has the power of salvation hits someone, Romans chapter 116 says that's what happens. The gospel has the power. When, it, when that gospel is heard and when that gospel is received, then what happens? When it's received correctly, then brokenness and contrition lead to repentance. And that's where the change happens. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted. There's a different type of God, there's a different type of sorrow, there's a different type of repentance that leads to salvation. There's, there's a godly sorrow and there's a worldly sorrow. A godly sorrow produces repentance, but worldly sorrow produces death. So we have to understand salvation doesn't simply come or it's not simply received because it's the better alternative to chance going to hell. Well, I'll say a prayer. I'll go to church. I, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead. I, I, I believe all those things, no problem. Kind of like taking out an insurance policy just in case you need it. Right? That's what we do. 
well, maybe I'll, I'll do this just as kind of a, as a, as a protection, just in case. I'll pray that prayer. I, I, I'll believe in Jesus. No, salvation only happens. Listen, please hear. Salvation only happens when this true godly sorrow over sin comes. And that sorrow over sin in your life leads you to repentance. Repentance means that you have a reversal of one's decision or direction. I'm committed to living for myself. I'm committing to living for sin. I'm committing for living for the world. You may not say those things, but that's the desire of your heart. That's the thoughts of your mind. That's the direction of your life. I'm, I'm all in for me. I'm all in for, for the world. I'm all in for money. I'm all in for sin. I'm doing my own thing. I'm living my own life. And you don't just hear the gospel and say, oh, that's a really good deal. I need to take out that insurance policy. It's not what happens. It's from I'm absolutely committed to living for these things to now I'm absolutely committed to living for Christ alone. My desire, my direction has been for sin, has been for self, has been for the world, and now my desire, my direction is for Christ alone. We understand that not everyone's ready to hear that they're a sinner going the wrong direction. Not everyone at, at, at all times is, is ready to hear that, and unless they turn to Christ, completely surrendering all to, to him, that they're going to perish in the lake of fire forever. Not everybody's ready to hear those words. Hey, unless, you get, unless you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, you're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. Some people, they said, no, 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 I'm not ready to hear that. We know that this is the case because Jesus taught that message when he was on this earth. And the Bible says that many people, several times, walked away. The idea of heaven versus hell is much more pleasant. But when it comes to complete trust or, or complete surrender or for, forfeiture of your life, when it comes to that, that's a lifelong, never-ending commitment like we talked about already. I put this in the notes. It's so important for us to remember this. It's not our job to save people. But it's our privilege to tell them who can. Man, People need to know they have to turn from sin. They have to understand that, that salvation doesn't come just by good head knowledge, just by believing, just by even being able to tell somebody, look, I know that Jesus Christ lived on, the, on this earth as a, sin, uh, as a sinless man, as God in the flesh. He, he, he went to the cross as the perfect sacrifice for sin. He bled and his blood is the propitiation, the payment, the atonement for our sin. That he was put in a grave three days later, he rose again. I believe those things. But if somebody just has the head knowledge and even can tell you how to do it and nothing has been surrendered, Nothing has been forfeited of their own accord. Nothing has been turned away from. There is not true salvation. Again, the Bible says, why? It says that even the demons know this. They believe and they tremble. But the demons haven't surrendered their life to God. They made their decision to follow Satan. I share this because, man... I believe there are so many people that are convinced they're going to heaven and they bought the lie that all you have to do is pray, that all you have to do is have the head knowledge. Jesus never taught that. Jesus taught there is an absolute transformation. And, and when that transformation happens, guess what happens next? Fruit. James would describe it as works. Faith then works. The proof is in the pudding. When someone's saved, it shows. 
And the same day Jesus went out, Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to try to skim through some of this. Went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered around him. He told them about the parable of a sower, verse 4. He said, as he went and sowed some seeds fell along the path, birds came and devoured them. Other seeds that he sowed fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil and immediately they sprang up. And since they didn't have any depth of soil, the sun arose and they were scorched. Since they had no root, uh, they withered away. Other seeds that were sown fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, and on the good soil it produced grain, but it was different, different levels of crops. Some were a hundredfold, some were sixty, and some thirty. And he says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Sophos came to him and said, why are you talking to us about in, in, in parables? Well, just tell us plainly. He said, well, to you it's been given to know the seeks of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it hasn't. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. But seeing that they do not see and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. You will hear, you'll never understand, you'll indeed see, but never perceive. What a, what a, what a devastating proclamation that there will be people, even under the sound of my voice maybe, that will hear the gospel, that will hear what it takes and still walk away. This people's heart has grown dull and their eyes they can barely hear, their ears they can barely hear and their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear but did not hear it. So listen to the parable of the sower. Hear it. Receive it. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, doesn't click with them. The evil one comes and he snatches away, has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path. As for the one that was sown on rocky ground, he's the one who hears the word of God. He shows up at church, hears the gospel and says, I want that ticket to heaven. But there's no repentance in his heart. There's no root. He doesn't have root, but while it endures for a little while, when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Where are those people? I thought they got saved. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word of God, but all the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Well, I've got to live my life. I still want to do my thing. Choke out the word, and it proves to be unfruitful. There's no change in their life. But for the one that was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Here it is. And indeed bears fruit and yields. It's evident. In case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. As I said, I'm so glad in his grace he saved me and he made me his own. So glad that I'm on the winning side. I'm so glad I'm a part of his plan. No matter what happens in this world, it's unstoppable. And I'm so glad and so humbled that he's chosen me. be a part of his unstoppable plan. If we would simply care enough to share the simple gospel that it's available to all. Let's go out of this place today remembering these truths. Be deliberate about it. Let's, let's go out of here and be active and involved in, in getting the gospel to those in need. They need to hear that Jesus loves them.
that Jesus died for, that Jesus rose again. They need to hear that they can have eternal life if they would surrender their life to them. Let me ask you this. When's the last time that you gave somebody a track that would point them to Jesus? Let me ask you this. When's the last time you invited somebody to church to hear about Jesus? When's the last time you personally had a conversation with somebody about Jesus? Is he your lover? Is he the lover of your soul? You say, yes. Does that show? Do you talk about him? Do you share him? Do you want others to know him? Is he the lover of your soul? And if you're a part of the family of God, let's make sure, let's be deliberate to remember these things. Let's live it out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for, again, just the challenge that you give to me. Lord, we all could be guilty of getting up every day, going about the busyness of life, and forgetting that there are, are true, living souls that are going to spend eternity burning in torment, never to receive a moment of relief, never to receive a moment of mercy, never to receive a, a moment of hope, never. They're living among us. We know them. So many times we stay silent about the only way for them to miss that, the only way for them to avoid that, the only way for them not to experience that eternal torment. And God, I ask you to forgive us. Forgive us as a people. Forgive us for being so selfish. Forgive us for being too busy. Forgive us for not being mindful that we are here for a reason and that is yours alone. Your purpose, your will, help us not be saturated again with worldly things. Let's not be saturated again with sin. Let's be consumed and mindful of the things of heaven. God, help us to respond rightly now, and we praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand, as the music is played, I would encourage you to come.